Hello and welcome to Sounds of Smoke, a mystery adventure podcast. Thank you everyone for listening. Please remember that all characters, people, events, and situations are completely made up for your fictional pleasure. They do not represent any real-life people, events, or pets, and any likeness to a reality is purely coincidental. It's just a story. It's December 23rd, 2017, 11 a.m. in the morning on a Saturday. I stand in front of my open suitcase, trying to figure out what to pack for my mini break home. Eli, my boyfriend, is also going home to see his parents. We've been together for three years now. Man, how time flies. I go to the closet and start picking out random clothes and just stuffing them into the suitcase. It's not that I hate my family, it's just that they are fucking crazy. But that is what happens when a Jew marries a Catholic. It's a whole lot of guilt and no one to stop the avalanche of emotions. Great. Nothing like spending Christmas in the eastern Long Island. It's snow everywhere, it's dark all the time, and it sucks. No, seriously, it's dark for like 45 hours of the day. And then, if you're lucky, you'll get like 5 minutes of sun. And everything is closed. Even the bars are closed for Christmas. I don't get it. It's like, it's 2017, and the Christians are still ruining my choice to drink alone at a bar on Jesus' birthday. It's like winter in Alaska, or some other long, cold, endless night, Puritan type of town. Except it has a added bonus of my parents being there, too. Stop it. You always get grumpy leading up to it, but then you always seem to have fun. And besides, you'll get to see your friends from high school. They're all losers, and I hate them. Last time I was cornered in Queen Mart by Mara about how she started growing cabbage. Well, what about Dave? You love Dave. You guys always seem to have a good time. Like, too much, really. Last time you were asked not to sit together at the restaurant, says Eli. Yeah, by you. It's because you guys are too much when you're together. And besides, would you rather spend the holidays with my parents in Florida? They have got a giant menorah for their front yard to equalize the balance in the neighborhood because two of the houses have Christmas trees and Santa in their front yard. Apparently, the Christians are taking over the street. Oh, God. I'm not sure which one is worse. Your parents are mine. Eli, maybe we should just run away from it all. (laughs) Ha ha, we are. We're going to be away on the Hawaiian beach for New Year's. Yeah, me, you, and all of our friends. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, it's just, it would be nice to just have a nuts trip, you know? No, we'll be bored to death of each other within hours. Don't say that. It's mean. Why? I don't know. Well, maybe it's not mean, but it's sad. Depressingly so. Oh, aren't you cute? Always the dark soul of you. Such a loner girlfriend I have. Eli came over and kissed me on the forehead. And then hugged me. Fuck. This relationship is going nowhere. Well, that's a terrible thought to have. 
fuck it. Maybe this break for the holidays is not such a bad idea after all. What time is your flight? It's at 5 p.m., don't worry. I have plenty of time. Come, finish packing so we can go get brunch before I leave, answers Eli. <sighs> okay. We walk outside and head over to the Cafe Delirium. Cafe is spelled with a P-H. Which is the best thing about Bushwick, actually. It's just so cozy and delicious. And yes, it's farm and slaughterhouse and a field to table. As we walk in, my mood immediately changes for the better. Because they have Christmas music blasting and are totally decked out in decorations. String lights, snowflakes, garlands, pine yards, and of course, a Christmas tree. This is like a shrine to Christmas. They have a crazy good Christmas Day open bar party. Oh, man, I freaking love Christmas. Ooh, they have reindeer with a side of Grinch scramble. Yum. If you're looking for a depressing experience, then go ahead and fly into an airport in Chihuahua, Mexico. That's right. It's a real place. A tiny little building with runways that looks like it's going to fall apart at any moment and has almost no service at all. Oh, and everyone looks like they wish they were dead. Which is sad in itself. But the saddest part for me is that I had to fly into Mexico City and then transfer to fly into Chihuahua, Mexico, which makes no sense at all. But, apparently, this job requires very special instructions of being extremely under the radar. I'm grumpy, and Nick is annoying me, and ugh. Why didn't you just eat that sandwich on the plane? Says Nick, knowing full well what I'm going to answer. No. And you know that I don't like airplane food, especially since that time that I almost died. You didn't almost die. It was barely food poisoning. I have a sensitive stomach, okay? Nick just swayed his head, mumbling, Drama queen under his breath. I heard that. Don't worry, we have to stop by at Mabel's so you'll be able to eat, says Nick as he notices me getting tenser and tenser by the minute. Oh yes, Mabel's. That's nice. It's 4 a.m. We walk out of the airport. I light a cigarette and feel the light buzz of nicotine hitting me as I lazily look over the dry desert of nothingness before me. It's still dark, the light has not broken yet, and it's still very quiet. I exhale the smoke from my lungs. Okay, let's do this, says Nick as he points towards the car waiting for us. There are pink and orange streaks of the sun in the sky starting to show as we are speedily driven through the desert, somewhere just outside of Chihuahua, Mexico. We're going to see Mabel, the lady in charge of the southwestern territory of the 7th Quadrant. We pull up to a small suburban community. It's clean and neat. It has the traditional terracotta buildings and neat lawns. At the end of the cul-de-sac, there is a slightly bigger house covered in Christmas lights with an impressive nativity display on the lawn, including an illuminated Santa with his reindeers. That is Mabel's house. We get out of the car and the driver drives away immediately, leaving us all alone. Nick and I look at each other and walk up to the front door. 
Just before either one of us has a chance to knock, the door opens and a lovely woman with a sweet smile and a pretty floral dress greets us. Victor, Nicholas, my boys, how I've missed you. Finally, you've come to visit. I was beginning to think that you don't like me, sweetly says Mabel as she comes out and hugs us. Hello, ma'am. Mabel, please. You have no idea how I've missed those pies and empanadas of yours. Oh, are you boys hungry? Victor, darling, I know you are. Yes, ma'am. Mabel, thank you. We walk in and the two heavily armed men scan us while patting us down. Afterwards, we are led into the kitchen where Mabel asks us to sit down at the kitchen island as she serves us some grape pie. Yes, grape. Don't judge until you've tried it. Coffee and some breakfast empanadas as she makes casual small talk. If you would walk into the kitchen at that precise moment, you would think that we are just some old relatives chatting about life not two guys who specialize in retrieval by any means necessary, meeting with a much, much senior operative with extreme history of gruesome violence who is currently wanted in seven countries. Mabel, to a simple eye, is a sweet lady, but to anyone who is in the field, she is a ruthless operative that will not just kill you, but she'll make a point of it to torture you in more ways than one before she finally does it. As hardcore as Nick and I are, make no mistake, we are both terrified of making the wrong move here. Yes, even Nick, who is kind of a badass. I press down on the gas pedal as the hove lane ceases to exist on the expressway. As we are too far east in Long Island at this point. This is my favorite part of the drive. The traffic clears out, and it's just you, the trees, the snow-covered ground, and the smell of the cold outdoors. The only annoying part is that there are speed traps everywhere. But I guess it makes sense since it's for safety, those evil bastards. My phone rings. It's my mom checking in. Lola, honey, it's mom. Yes, I know. Hi, mom. Are you coming home today? You said that you were going to come home today and that it's already 3 p.m. and I just want to check in and see if you left yet. Yes, Mom, I'm on my way. I've passed exit 70 already, so I'm like 45 minutes to an hour away. Oh, okay, great. Well, then can you stop by the store and get a few things since you're going to be passing it anyway? I'm not going to be passing it, Mom. You know that the store is east of the house, so I'll have to pass the house and then come back. Ugh, this is a pointless argument. I will not win. But yes, Mom, I'll stop at the store if you want me to. Okay, that's what I meant. I'll text you the list. Drive safely, honey. See you soon. <sighs> Why is there always an agenda with her? It's not too late to turn around. And this one is Appleberry. Here, take the whole thing for the road. I'm having a pre-Christmas Eve party tonight. Starts at 7 p.m. sharp. I'll see you boys then. Oh, and wear festive Christmas attire, please. Marco, has your car ready? That's it for now, says Mabel as she pushes the large cardboard pie box towards us. 
We thank her, get up, and then Marco, one of the gentlemen that is one of Mabel's personal assistant assassins, leads us towards the garage. We are presented with the moderately new, generic SUV, and when Marco pops the trunk, there are two built-in metal cases that hold guns, ammo, knives, ropes, cables, and dynamite. Dynamite? Really? Sometimes you encounter rock formations. They can get in the way, says Marco. He hands us the keys and goes to open the garage door. Nick nods, takes the keys, and we get into the car. Great! Well, I guess you're driving. I open the cardboard pie box. There's an envelope that has been stuck to the inside of the lid. I open it and look at our instructions. We have five targets. I show Nick the photos and begin to read the stats of the targets. Nick starts the car and off we go. Okay, let's see. Which one of you is the important one? Looks like we're after a chip that has been implanted into one of these guys' legs, but we don't know which guy. Sorry, Nicky. Looks like we're going to have to cut through all of these guys to get the chip out. It's going to be messy, Nick grumbles. It's a good thing I brought the extra poncho. Give me that pie, says Nick. Okay, but just one slice. We need to make it last through lunch. I settle in and look around my old room. It's always so weird being back home. I lie down on my bed and close my eyes for a minute. I hear my phone ringing. I answer it with my eyes closed. I don't need to check the caller ID. I know exactly who is calling. Hey, Cookie, welcome home. I hear a familiar, sweet, and deep manly voice. Hey, Davy. Thanks. So, drinks? Yeah, what you got? Well, I know it's not ideal, but it's better than sitting in your room alone. I'm listening. Mike Murkowski's holiday party. Mike M. still does holiday parties? Isn't he married to that pushy fat girl that hates everyone? Yeah, it's great. Everyone is going to be there. I promise that we'll make fun of people to their faces. Come on, I'll pick you up in an hour. Grr, I guess. I have nothing better to do. That's my girl. How does he always know when I'm back? I swear, it's like he has hidden surveillance cameras in my room or something. Wow. I guess that dynamite did come in handy. I'm standing in the middle of a house with five dead guys lying on the floor. After blowing up the lobby, Nick and I went in blasting. Okay, let's get the plastic. I start to unroll the plastic wrap to cover as large of an area as I can because I'll have to cut into all the legs of these five guys. We then line up the five bodies on the plastic area. I pick up the first body and start cutting his jeans. I feel the thigh to see if I can feel anything. I cut it open and start digging for the chip. I take out the object. It's just a small lump of plastic. Nope, that's not the guy. Next! All of these five guys have a lump in their thigh because for just one of them to have a chip would be too easy. No, they must have four decoys. Ugh. Okay, nope, not this one. This is just a coin. 
That's not even a good thing. To have a coin implanted in your thigh can lead to blood poisoning. Fucking amateurs. I move on to the third guy. I cut into his thigh after I take his pants off. I see Nick walk in. He never walks in during my procedure. What's up? There's something you have to see once you're done. Okay. Is everything okay? I'm not sure. I'll need your kit, though. But finish. I swirl my blade between my fingers and plunge it into the third guy's thigh and pull out... Not the chip. Okay. Body number four. Let's see. Wait. Wait! This looks like the chip! I put it into the cleaning bowl with the other objects and move on to the next guy. Just in case. Gotta be thorough. Aha! Also a chip! Huh. Two identical-looking chips. Tricky. Well, I'll bring all of them back. Okay, Nikki, I'm done here. We got doubles! I put all the items into the Ziploc baggie and get up and take my rubber gloves off. Davey and I pull up to Mike Murkowski's house. Dave pulls out a joint and lights it, takes a hit and passes it to me. I inhale. This is nice. I miss Dave. Or maybe I just miss being a teenager. We'll look at Mike M's house. Is that a Rastafarian Santa behind the menorah with the nativity scene in his front lawn? Yep, says Dave. Why? Mike M is just... Jewish. Apparently, they now celebrate all the holidays. And the Rastafarian Santa is here to represent Kwanzaa. Right. So are you ready to go in? Asks Dave. No. He smiles and then he leans and kisses me on the side of my head. Let's go get wasted. Okay. I mumble underneath my breath. We walk into the party which looks like a scene from the ghost of Christmas past that aged badly. The multi-holiday decorations from the outside are continued on on the inside of the house. And I hate to say it, but there is a certain charm to it. Dave grabs my hand and leads me towards the bar. As everyone is stopping us to say hi, he takes my coat and then leaves me by the bar as he goes to drop the coats off into the bedroom. No, don't leave me alone here. Ah. I reach for the wine and I hear the voice that makes me shiver. Lola! Lola, hi! Fuck me, it's Mara. God damn it, sorry Christmas. Hey girl, how are you? I am so surprised to see you. I would think that you would be with your fancy boyfriend. What is that that he does again? Finance? He's a lawyer. Is he here or are you all alone? I hate this bitch. I'm all alone. Oh, well, that's okay. Some people are just not the couple type. Me and Mitch. We are always together, but it's just because we are just so in love. It's so hard to be apart. I pour myself another glass of wine because I already finished the one I had. Right. Great. Hey, Moira, says Dave. It's Mara. You know that, Dave. Right. Sorry. How's your sister? Is she here? No, she is not. Nice to see you, lol, but you really should get new friends, says Mara as she gives Dave a dirty look and then walks off. What the fuck was that? Dave just smiles. You slept with Mara's little sister, didn't you? 
unbelievable. He pours two shots of festive mix, whatever that is, and gives me one. Come on, Cookie, down on one. Would ring the shot. Oh my god, what is this? Yuck. Come, let's say hi to Mike M and his missus, says Dave. I guess I must. I follow Nick into the other room and we turn into the hallway. And Nick points to the door that had an outside padlock on it that is now broken. Did you break it or was it broken? I did. Do you have your kit? Yeah, it's right here. I raise my bag to show that I have it. Nick opens the door and there are steps leading down towards the basement. He turns the lights on because there are no windows. This is not an original basement. It was put here for no one to know. We reach the bottom and before us is a body of a young guy that is definitely not one of the Mexican gentlemen that we met upstairs. He is chained to the wall and by the looks and smell of it, he's been here a while. I approach him. I can see that his leg is infected and that he might be going into shock. I think he was the original carrier for the chip. Why didn't they just kill him? Why torture him like this? I check his vitals. Not looking good. I see that his wrist has a small tattoo of a taxi cab with the letters R-O-D on it. Oh shit! He's a ride or die! I show Nick the tattoo. Okay, I'm going to need to amputate his leg, and then we need to get him to a medic. Hand me the syringe. The party is in full swing. I'm definitely a little buzzed, and despite being a little grumpy in the beginning, I'm actually enjoying myself. Maybe it's not so bad to see everyone. Mike M. comes up to me to say hi. i sort of been avoiding him, and I'm starting to feel bad about it. Because it is his party, and he's a nice guy. It's just that he's very, very geeky. Hey, you, have you been hiding from me? I'm just kidding. What do you think? Mike M. swirls his finger in midair, alluding to all the house decorations. Yeah, hey, you, uh, I kind of dig all the holiday decor. It's a bit of everything, and it has its own special charm. Yeah, now that the parents have moved to Jersey, they're in the retirement village now. So I have the house, just putting my own spin on things. Oh, I see, it's a, it's a nice house. Hey, wifey, Mike M motions to his wife to come over. I don't think you've met my wife yet. This is Emily. A tall, large woman with dark hair and glasses hovered over towards us. She gave me a weird feeling as she looked me over. I could tell immediately that she does not like me. I have no idea why. We've never met. Hi, uh, very nice to meet you. I'm Lola. Uh, Mike and I went to school together. Emily forced a fake, sugary smile and let out an equally fake response, representing her happiness to meet me too, as we shook hands. Oh, that's a cool tattoo you have on your wrist. What do the letters R-O-D stand for? Thanks. It's something that me and my friends have. Oh, okay. Well, it's cool. Uh, how did you guys meet? Oh, we've actually met at Queen Mart. She was shopping there, and I was shopping there, and we just kept shopping at the same times and finally started talking, and now here we are. Mike M. grabbed Emily's hand and squeezed it. And what do you do for work, Lola? asked Emily. Me, right. Um, well, I actually work for a toe. That is a cool, cute story, bro. Dave cut right off. 
Hi, Emily. How's it going? Says Dave. She smiled back in a weird way. I'm sorry, lovebirds, but I'm going to have to steal lol for a second. We haven't said hi to the Eric's yet. Awesome party, Markovsky, said Dave. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, we need to make our rounds too. Have fun, you guys. Let's do dinner, said Mike M. And with that, Dave just dragged me away. We arrived to Mabel's and Marco was waiting outside. He walked to the car and got inside. House 23. It's right there. Marco pointed towards the back. As we drove up to the house, Marco took out a remote and opened the garage door. We drove in. Leave the car here. Go into the living room for debrief. As we walked into the living room, it became clear that this is Marco's house. Which is normal, as he is Mabel's personal assistant assassin, so his residence would be nearby. I wouldn't be surprised if the whole street is Mabel's. Marco comes up and I show him the Ziploc. Nice house, man. Love your DVD collection. He nods and takes the Ziploc baggie from me. Then he points towards the couch and says that we have 15 minutes. On the couch, there are two dark gray suits with festive tartan shirts and ties with Santa and Christmas trees on them. Each one has a note with our names on them. Nick looked at me. I'm not wearing that. At Mabel's Christmas party, 7 p.m. sharp, 15 minutes later. Nicely done. Merry Christmas, boys. Don't you look dashing? I'm so glad the clothes fit you fine. Nick, this green tartan is a perfect color on you. You will find a nice bonus as you check your bank account this time, says Mabel as we handed over the items to her. It's our pleasure, Mabel. I have not heard any requests for the house cleanup, says Mabel. Oh, yes. Horrible accident. Gas leak. Five people were inside. Tragedy. I see. Very good. Stay for the party. Enjoy yourselves, boys, says Mabel. We would love to, but I'm afraid that the management has requested that we must be on the next flight out. Oh, the management, so controlling, always ruins all the fun. Well, until next time, boys. Take some pie for the road, says Mabel, as Marco brings yet another pie box. We thank her again and go on our way. It's a lie. The management did not request us. But I just don't trust Mabel and also want to get the fuck out of Mexico. I open the pie box in the car on the way to the airport. It's two mini pies and a Polaroid of a bar in Long Island with the name and address of it on the back, as well as date and time. 11.30 p.m., December 24th, 2017. What does it mean? Asks Nick. I don't know, but looks like I have to go back to Long Island. It's Christmas Eve. I step out of the Maddie's pub for a quick smoke. It's cold and it's starting to snow. A bunch of us is here. After the party last night, a small group of us decided to meet for drinks and food at Maddie's to catch up without Mara constantly interrupting us. Well, just without Mara. It's quiet out. 
and there's this pre-holiday melancholy setting in. I go back inside, it's too fucking cold out. I wave towards the table that I'm getting more drinks, and does anybody want anything? As I squeeze towards the bar, this woman pushes me right in the ribs, very aggressively. What the hell? Uh, ma'am, excuse me, but you just pushed me pretty hard. Please use words. Well, you are in my way, says the woman. Right, well, I'm actually not in your way because I'm beside you. But, okay, look, in the spirit of Christmas, let's just count it as a misunderstanding. I think you should apologize to me, says the woman. Uh, okay, just ignore her. She clearly is some crazy drunk person who wants to stir trouble. So just get your drinks, Lola, and walk away. Hey, Bill, can I get another round for the group? Hey, I'm talking to you, bitch, says the woman. Have a happy holiday, ma'am. I turned around and started to walk away as she pushed me in the back so hard that I almost fell. Now, sober Lola would have just kept walking, but I just had to turn around and ask, Did you just push me? Yeah, what are you going to do about it, ugly? Okay, whatever. Crazy. I breathed in and turned back around to prepare to walk away. And then, I don't know why, but then I just thought to myself, No, fuck it. I'm going to give her a piece of my mind. So I turned back around to face her, and she was just about to push me again. So I swerved right out of the way, and she fell straight under her face with a full force. Wow, karma is a bitch, ain't it, woman? Okay, that was a weird thing to say. What happened next was a blur, because I think as I was walking, she just jumped and launched at me and pushed me out right out of the door. We both fell into the cold, white snow, and I felt her punching me in the face. I grabbed her hand, and with my left hand, I punched her as hard as I could right in the eye. I then rolled her, and while kicking and punching at anything and everything, I felt somebody picking me up as I pulled some of her hair out. Someone else was holding her down. I think my nose is bleeding. Is my nose bleeding? No, your lip is bleeding. Her nose is bleeding. That was a nice punch cookie. I realized Dave was holding me. She started it. I saw her spit blood onto the snow, look at me and say, Not bad for an amateur. And then get up and walk towards the car, get in there and drive away. What the hell just happened? I think she was crazy. I told Bill not to call the cops. Come on, let's get you inside, cleaned up and drunk, said Dave to me. December 24th, 2017, 11.25 p.m., Maddie's Pub. It's a local place that I have come to enjoy while recently being relocated to Long Island. Now, I was hoping to be home with a pint of ice cream watching Love at Midnight, this new reality TV show about strangers dating while leading up to New Year's to see if they'll get engaged on New Year's Eve or not. It sounds corny, but it's amazing. Even Nick started watching it. But no. Instead, I have to be in a crowded bar on Christmas Eve with the alcoholics and the locals trying to recapture their youth. I pick a corner table by the window. Since it's a small table for two, hopefully no one will bother me. I look around and see nothing out of the ordinary. I wonder if Mabel has sent me on a fool's errand. She does love to mess with people. And then I see Lydia, one of the recruit agents for Illari. 
She walks into the bar and makes a beeline directly for some girl. I pick up a book to hide my face while observing. Why is Lydia here? I wasn't told that there would be another agent. Weird. Lydia stops, takes a breath, picks up a half-drunken glass from the bar, and then pushes the girl. She continues to instigate the fight until they are punching each other senseless out in the snow. I see a ride pull up and Lydia leaving. Why was I meant to see that? This doesn't look like a recruitment job. Hmm. Weird. Must find out more about that girl. Thank you for listening. Sounds of Smoke is written by Anna Abrams and performed by Anna Abrams and Dan Medvedic. And if you like the podcast, please don't forget to rate us, give us five stars on iTunes or Spotify, and leave a comment if you would like. Also, please subscribe. Uh, we are on Spotify, on SoundCloud, and on iTunes. Uh, it's all Sounds of Smoke. As well as we have a website, soundsofsmoke.com. And uh, our Instagram is at Bedlam and Delirium. Uh, so please, guys, if you like us, follow us, uh, like us, comment. Everything is appreciated. Thank you very much. Bye.